Uh, much like LCD sound system, this is happening. I feel like that's maybe the second or third time you've done exactly that Switch, reference yeah. for exactly that uh, song. The thing uh, is, it's good, so why wouldn't I do it? We are dancing ourselves clean. Uh, Ooh. Does it work with other ones? I don't have to do that every time, though. Yeah. I can change. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, baby. Hmm. Now we're just exclaiming. Uh, thank you so These much. are Jason's trials and tribulations. Please continue, Jason. <laughs> this hurts. Thank you so much for listening to uh, it's Puff Puff Movie Pass. Uh, it's a tiny little trial of tri- tiny. I'm already gone. I'm faded. A tiny little trial of episode where we talk about movies that are actually in theaters. Uh, uh, Jason, uh, you can find me on Twitter and they didn't Cody Narvison, you can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. Well, wait a minute. I don't know if I go before or after. Listen, you go, you you go with the Oh, he's so lost already. It's yeah, wild. Just, did, just uh, pause. All right. All right, uh, newbie. Give it to right, me. Give yeah, it to yeah, me. Give it to me. I'm so Zerati. It's better if you cough. You can find me at SN Zerati. Here you go. I'm here back. You can find me at Punish Talk. That was Punish Take. That was Punish Take. Today's episode is going to focus around five fucking movies. I don't know why we did this to ourselves. I only have four planned. Wait a minute. What's the fifth one? Is it Barbie? Hit it. Okay, I think I can make that work. We got five movies. Uh, Should we what? Oh, I was going to say, should we say what they are up top? I already. I was about there's to no say. structure for this. Yeah, yeah. I was, oh, I was going. I should let you talk. Just give people preparation. We're going to go with Asteroid City. We're going to go with Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. We're going to go with Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. We're going to go with Barbie. We're going to go with Oppenheimer in that order, just because that's the chronological release order of all five of those movies. Uh, the structure here is we're going to have two things we liked and one thing we didn't like about each of these movies. Each of us is going to have three things. And then a short discussion, if necessary. Uh, as I understand, Seth, you might need to abstain from the first one. Have you not, still not seen Asteroid City? Let me tell you something. We're kicking it right off the bat. I did not, and let me tell you why. Because if I was buying weed from Wes Anderson, he's the type of motherfucker, like, I, I want to do something where I can put it on, listen to some Led Zeppelin, and have a good time. Meanwhile, this dude is microdosing, listening to, like, John Coltrane <laughs> records. And I'm just not into that. Uh, I, I could be, maybe, but, like, it's not for me. So I will abstain from this round of puffing and passing. Uh, I will leave it to you then to determine whether or not you listen as uh, as we record, because I'm sure we'll get into spoilery territory for some fun stuff that happens in the movie. I don't know. I'm just going to go with the vibes. I know what it's like to, to be on weed. Uh, so, Cody, because you've done this before, uh, I want to I want you to help set an example for Harry, who's joining us for the first time uh, on here on Puff Puff Movie Pass, the vaunted institution of Puff Puff Movie Pass. Uh, would you go ahead and kick us off with your Puff Puff and Pass of Asteroid City? Sure, I'll do my very best. Um, I did see this movie twice in theaters. It's kind of a rarity for me in this day and age. Um, 
I think one of which was on MoviePass. Um, some issues with Landmark Theaters and my MoviePass card working. That is uh, a little something. I'm just going to well, float that in here. Movie but ass, am I right? That's right. Um, in any case, I got nothing for that. I can't top that. Um, but all that is to say, good vibes only uh, for this. So we're going to stick to stick to the takes. Uh, Puff piggybacking off of something I had uh, last, uh, something I had to say last month, um, kind of the, the summer Schwartzman. Uh, he really, he really popped off in Asteroid City. Um, he was great in Spider-Verse as well. Seeing the trailer for Asteroid City, I sort of assumed this would be, you know, the classic uh, eclectic ensemble that Wes Anderson usually wrangles together. And there'd be, you know, people, uh, you know, come coming up from unexpected places and we, we get these really marquee scenes and we, we tip it, we did by and large. Um, but whereas I thought Jason Schwartzman would serve as more of like a, a rudder or like a, a soft anchor, uh, or a moderator for this, he was, uh, my favorite performance, probably the, uh, or the best performance in my eyes, one of my favorites of the year, really brought a lot to a very complicated, multifaceted character. Um, so that was really cool to see. Very happy for him. Uh, happy for him. He's been in the game a long time. I also love the that uh, yeah, they critique the performance within the movie itself. Uh, that was a really funny moment when he asks um, the, uh, the play's director um, how he's doing and the guy critiques his performance live within the movie and says he's doing too much with the cigar and the, the little ticks. I thought that was really funny. Yeah. Uh, both an MVP and a glue guy, which you don't see all that often. That is um, sports corner. Uh, so puff. Uh, Wait, also, they call, they call yeah, people what? in sports glue guys. I'm sorry. I know this I should is, be interrupting we, so much. We need, but, we need a, we need a separate yeah, episode for well, that. We can't get into yeah, it, but also, that's, the 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 balance of power has shifted in this podcast it's now 50 50 sports guys to non-sports guys oh god so, oh, 50 percent oh. glue guys yeah oh, no. it's over it's joe well, i i consider myself more of an x factor and cody got is glue, glue guys guy. all up in here it's try lover yeah. oh you better believe it's gonna get sticky uh puff uh, I've tried to find, and I guess spoiler territory, Seth, um, just a uh, forewarning. Um, I tried to find a right way to kind of frame why I love the, um, the Margot Robbie scene so much. Um, and it's really hard to get into that. Like sans, like, like in a vacuum, it's a really hard scene to uh, kind of dig into. And I think one of the reasons I like that scene so much is that it does feel like, an appropriate culmination of everything we've watched in the movie up to that point, which seems like kind of a trivial thing to say, but it's not uh, you know, a, a sort of finale, a, a climactic scene that you can easily clip and like meme on Twitter or something like that. Not that that would necessarily be a, a bad thing, but for this particular flavor of movie, I like that it was, you know, a, a a scene that really felt appropriately built upon by the preceding scenes. It, it felt so good to watch in the moment. And so I don't know that scene rules. Uh, I've thought about that scene quite a bit since watching this movie a couple of times. So that's a shout great out. puff. A great, great puff, puff. Cody. Uh, and then my one pass, if there's, uh, if there's one uh, low point for me, it was, I guess the scene that if my memory serves correctly, immediately followed that scene where um, the, the, you can't wake up if you don't fall asleep scene. I not necessarily a bad scene. Um, it just, I don't know. It, deflated's maybe the wrong word, but it, I felt like coming from the Adrian Brody conversation and then the Margot Robbie scene. And then that scene sort of after that, that was sort of the, like the three scenes you get kind of comprising the, the climax. And then the movie kind of ends after that. It was, I don't know uh, if other people, other people may have taken away something bigger from that scene, which is totally great. It wasn't necessarily the vibe I wanted, especially after um, the couple scenes that we, that preceded it. Um, so that was kind of 
my low point. Not that, again, it was necessarily a bad choice, but if I needed to pick a pass, that's my pass for that movie. Um, and that was Pasteroid City. Oh my God, there's Pasteroid City uh, in the house. Um, I'm going to give my Puff Puff Pass. I, I, think I, I think I've got them nailed down to a thing uh, really quickly. I don't think I'm going to get too into spoiler territory. So Seth, listen in if you like. Uh, I like that Wes Anderson, like just the ongoing old manification of Wes Anderson. Um, he is just becoming like, he's always... I think just in the public consciousness, in like the broadest movie going uh, moviegoers uh, consciousness, he's just had this sort of like cold, unfeeling, exacting detail associated with his works, especially the more um, the, the stop motion type stuff uh, that has like a certain distance from the piece, a certain like whatever. I think if you watch the, enough of them and sort of pick up on his on his trends, you can see that that's, that's false. That there's a lot actually a lot a lot of heart underneath all of it, as Harry likes to say movies that are funny and cute and entertaining but also fill of some of the saddest people in movies um i think there's a like a real balance there and i think this movie it, it puts that at the front and center it's just it's like wes anderson is looking at his own career and his own lifestyle excuse me his own uh, uh, sort of legacy and getting sentimental about it and not being ashamed about that and sort of like it 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 just has a real center to itself, a real heart. And I think that leads into my other pass, excuse me, my other puff, which is that he sort of knows where to focus. He knows who to like, uh, like you said, Cody uh, Schwartzman is not like, you don't expect him to have the weight that he has, but by the end, by, you know, sort of you've seen through the layers of this character and of this performance, you start to realize this is actually, this actually has a whole lot more that was going on before I knew what was going on, so to speak. Uh, and I think just giving that much time and positioning those characters where he needs to position them in the story gives it a, like, ends up like a one-two punch by the end of the movie. Um, I would recommend seeing this movie twice because it is just classically so much has changed about these people and these characters and the way you understand them by the end that watching them in the first half with knowledge of the second half is just way, way more rewarding. Um, and that leads to my pass, which is that my first watch, I did not see the single shot. I must've been looking away or going to pee or something. The single shot where Woodrow pulls out a picture of his mom. And it's that picture of Margot Robbie that comes up later. So I didn't know who the fuck that was <laughs> in the final scene that Cody seems to have loved so much with Margot Robbie. Uh, there are obviously there's so much to like unpack in that ex exact scene. Uh, I just had no idea what was really going on. I was just along for the ride, loved it anyway, but did not know what to know about it. I'm glad to see that in the chat, we've got some uh, thumbs up, some support yeah, of um, same boat. Yeah. Like I just did not catch. It seems really important to the plot and it really did enrich my experience to go back and, and have that piece click into place. I did see this movie twice. Second time I tried to see it with movie pass and movie pass thought I was still six miles from the theater I was standing in. So, you know, you win some, you lose some. Uh, I feel like a bogart the whole roach. Uh, Harry, are you ready to give your uh, puff, puff, and pass? I am. Thank you. I liked both of your puffs and passes very much. I loved Cody's controversial one because I really loved the scene, uh, you can't wake up if you don't fall asleep. But I think there's an argument to be made that it was superfluous, if only because the rest of the movie communicated what that scene was communicating so effectively. And I think that's a really good point, Cody. Uh, but my puffs are a little bit more personal, I guess. I've only seen this once thus far. I hope to see it again very soon. I was a little drunk when I saw it, and that put me right in the right place to get very emotional, which is what I wanted because... Uh, you know, I'm a huge Wes Anderson fan. I've been really looking forward to this one. Um, couldn't wait to be devastated and was. So my first puff was uh, the first scene when Augie meets Conrad Earp when he comes into the sort of secluded cabin and introduces himself by playing a character that Conrad Earp has um, written. And then they fall in love and they kiss. Um, extremely emotional. 
big waterworks from that kind of the heart of the movie, in my opinion, that scene, which is a silly thing to say because there are about seven scenes that are the heart of the movie to me, which brings me to my second puff, which is uh, Jeffrey Wright's speech as the general. Um, I think that's some of the best writing that Wes Anderson has ever done. Um, I looked up that speech just to read it afterwards. It's, it's an incredible speech. And I think that like it gets at a really nuanced um, idea that's sort of running through strain, if you will, <laughs> that's running through this movie that um, Cody talked about in his Letterboxd review, which is that Jeffrey Wright is like almost ostensibly the main bad guy, if you want to call bat like if you want to say there are bad guys in Asteroid City, which is kind of weird, but um, he does represent like the U.S. military industrial complex. Um, I think that speech gives him a really great human angle to explore and to explore like how evil even happens in um, Wes Anderson's sort of like conception of uh, humanity as this movie portrays it, which is extremely humanistic and kind of all about how like we're all um, lost and missing parts of ourselves and desperately looking for things to fill that void and to come up with answers that we're never actually going to receive that we can only sort of receive by proxy through one another. That uh, speech does a really fabulous job of portraying that. Um, and I guess my puff is that we didn't get to see June make out with Montana. That is referenced. It's said that the end of those character arcs, June being the um, school teacher played by Maya Hawk, Montana, the, um, uh, the cowboy type dude played by I can't remember. They have undeniable sexual chemistry throughout the film. Uh, I would like to have seen that culminate, um, but we got it off screen. So mm. um, please, Wes, show don't tell next time. <laughs> uh, if I had notes, you know, it nearly a perfect movie, maybe a, a 4.99. Uh, but, you know, you don't need to tell me that stuff, especially when it's Maya Hawk and Rupert Friend. Thank you, Cody. Uh, two very hot. I people. think I'm right on that. I wanted to see him, you know, going at it a little bit. And I don't, I don't, I'm not ashamed of that. <laughs> a little bit. Uh, it is, it is a regret that we didn't see more of those little tiny pairings here and there. But I think that is, for me, that was part of the strength. I want to just in a quick cross examination. What would you call that in weed circles? Do people get angry with each other or like, do you all start talking and puffing at once? <laughs> It's pretty antithetical to the weed experience. Unless you're uh, the mellow. Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman in um, Eyes Wide Shut, in which case you can tell Nicole Kidman that this pot is making you aggressive. <laughs> so maybe that's what we'll call <laughs> this it. This pot is making me aggressive and uh, and it's it's um, harshing the mellow. But I, I want to jump on the bandwagon of Jeffrey Wright. I think he is like on second watch i think he was like my favorite single part of the movie um i really do like jason schwartz like the just the heart that runs throughout the, the whole movie and um and and uh jason schwartzman as like you say cody like the nucleus of it all and like the stand in a use case for everything that it's doing and saying but jeffrey wright just has such commanding fucking presence every time he's on the screen and it's mostly like in french dispatch it was like tragic and beautiful and like uh here and out like a song in this he like just explodes onto the screen, goes through this incredibly verbose, but very quick speech about his life to that point in a very comedic way. And then later on, we had something to say. I forget. It's like, I think it's the order from the president to quarantine. He's like, I have an order from the president to quarantine asteroid city. Here I go. And he like just starts leading into exactly that. I don't know. It's just so fucking hilarious that I never yeah. expect him to be that funny when he's like 
in that costume, I guess, in this movie. It it really hit right. Man, right. I'll I'll hail the Jeffrey Wright Assance, by the way. He's really I'm, been blowing up lately, and I'm so happy to see it. <laughs> yeah, I'm thrilled in particular that he's been added to Wes Anderson's like stable of homies. He's perfect um, for it. He's he's getting deployed super well. It's it's great. Looking forward to the next one. Uh, Wes, some more notes. Uh, show the two, two of those white people kissing and show more Jeffrey Wright. Honestly, you have that. You got at least a 4.5 from Letterboxd, or from me on Letterboxd. That's, uh, that's all you're looking for. Um, okay, well, that was Asteroid City. We're going to zoom through to the next movie, Dial of Destiny, comma, Indiana Jones. And the uh, directed by James Mangold came out sometime in June, I think the 28th or the 29th, depending on where you are in the United States or around the world. Um, uh, Seth, since you did see this one with us, would you mind jumping on with your puff, your puff, and your pass for Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny? Oh, I got you. Hit me. Uh, so my first puff, again, this is more... Uh, conceptual uh is just a return to the joy of the indiana jones series i feel like kingdom of the crystal skull it was trying to itch that nostalgia while still trying to like lean into that b movie 1950s sci-fi thing i'm not breaking any ground there but like this one it it knew that this was a love letter to the best parts of indiana jones and it embraced it. Uh, and even though that was like telegraphed, doesn't matter. Still, still scratch that itch in my brain. That was my first puff. My second puff. Uh, hats off to Mess Mickelson. He should never be allowed to play a hero ever. Uh, he should always play a little fruity villain uh, because he owns it every time he does it. He needs to he needs to be coquettish and, you know, just something bubbling under the surface. What what kind of mysteries does he hold? I want to know when he captivating when he was being racist to the guy in the hotel. I was like, oh, rather than being like, fuck you, man. He was like, hmm, I wonder where this is going. Also, I have to say that uh, a little a little uh, fruity villain. That's uh, Mm -hmm. like perhaps the greatest way to describe Hannibal. (laughs) Perhaps the er little fruity villain. Yes, (laughs) that's what I'm saying. Very, very good idea. Yeah. No, I know. That's what I'm saying. And even if we want to get like a more subdued fruit, uh, Le Chief in Casino Royale, like also phenomenal in that role. Captivating. Um, I haven't played it. Maybe it's a spoiler. I'm pretty sure he plays an antagonist in Death Stranding. Well, he plays. uh, He plays. He plays a, a, a grieving father. Uh, that's a villain depending on your psychology (laughs) Uh, and so then my pass I did like seeing young Indy I did not like hearing old Harrison Ford he like that part I was already on shaky ground with the de-aging I saw it in motion and for the most part it was okay but hearing him uh, it kind of just like reminded me of Harrison Ford's mortality and mm. that definitely harshed my mellow. <laughs> uh, so that is my puff, my puff and my pass. Who gets, who gets the doobie? Uh, I will pass it around back to Jason as the uh, sort of, wow. Yeah, I know. I you get to double are hit. The, what's the word I'm looking for? 
Well, I can't help you with them. I, He's already too yeah. far gone. No, I was going to say uh, the one I'm thinking of is not PC. So you just you just like Indiana Jones, so you get it. That's my I'm I'm the savant, so to speak. Uh, yeah. The I I love that really like I I won't put it on a tier of anything beyond you know the original films. Obviously, really liked Dial of Destiny. Just want to say that out front. I my pu- first puff is for Phoebe Waller Bridge. I think she really does fit in this movie. She's like that good, classically morally ambiguous character, but always bending toward justice thing. Absolutely no new ground broken with the character. But I th- I appreciate that she plays it fun and lighthearted, like most of her characters and most of what she's done. Um, but also as like the sole bearer of all of Indiana Jones's like sadness that t- suddenly hit him in this old age, his sadness over <laughs> fucking Shia LaBeouf getting blown up in the war. Uh, and and about being separated from Marion, from his wife, and about like his continued self isolation, and you know his sort of uh, mo- his mock asceticism. I really enjoy that she is like the foil to a lot of that. Um, you can argue about the way that it's deployed and sort of like what it leads her to do, but I think that she does capture that really well. She has a lot. Some some of the best scenes in the movie are led by her, or just entirely her, and I think she just fits very very well here. Um, uh, my second puff, it's very goofy, this movie. Uh, it is goofy, but like in a way that sort of still, and I say this with a gigantic scare quotes, respects like the sort of uh, serious mythology of the Indiana Jones movies, where it's like tied to something that you have probably read about in, you know, high school or middle school uh, history or world history. You sort of know the pieces, you know the players. Um, it like, it, it there's nothing more ridiculous than the idea of flying through a hole in the sky and you know jettisoning your jettisoning yourself back three thousand years, uh, but some like I just Indiana Jones as the bridge between the very like. Uh, there's earth and stone and treasure in the real world. And there's things that you could barely comprehend him as that. And just the idea that he could still bear that he could still be that bridge in like the 1960s when he thinks he's over again, I really, really enjoy that. I think that's where the, like the, um, the fun and adventure of the Indiana Jones movies comes for me. Uh, and it does do that. I think a lot better than, uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull was able to, or not able to, so to speak. Uh, my only pass is, well, a couple of passes I probably have about this movie, but my primary one is that the scuba scene is not very compelling at all. It kind of does stop the movie. If you've seen it, uh, you know what I'm talking about. Antonio Banderas leads the crew down to a a sunken ship where the next piece of their map is supposed to be. It sets up, as it always does, another, you like the bad guys have caught up to us moment. Um, I think that is like the moment where they're caught is much better than the scuba sequence itself. So it's easily forgotten. But in the grand scope of it, having seen it twice, uh, I know that it does drag down the movie's runtime by 10, 15 minutes and doesn't add a whole lot. Um, It doesn't have good movement or kineticism, doesn't like even give a sense of depth very much. It feels just like padding that scene kind of we don't really do or learn a whole lot. Antonio Banderas is killed after that. One of his minions is killed before that. I don't know. Um, That's my pass for Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Ask me two months from now and there'll be another. But for right now, this roach uh, is going going to Harry. Thank you, Jason. Uh, let's see. My first puff um, uh, following. Let's see. I'm one of my pa- my past is actually something that I think uh, Crystal Skull, much maligned though it may be, did better. This is something that this movie does far better, which is basically politics. None of the Indiana Jones have great politics, but um, I really, really love the conception of Indy as like a dude who is deeply disillusioned following World War II and trying to sort of like uh, escape from slash deny the course that 
America has gone on following that. Um, the main villain is a really obvious reference to Operation Paperclip, uh, in which the U.S. Um, government spirited a bunch of Nazi scientists to America to help with the NASA projects. Um, I think that it, it's super cool that like Indiana Jones as a historian can be like, hey, wait a minute, I thought we like tried to fight against fascism, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait, shit, they actually just <laughs> imported it to the United States to continue it. Um, I wish they had played with that a little bit more, but like, especially coming off of Crystal Skull, where the bad guys were just Soviets and were supposed to be analogous to Nazis, which is an insane uh, comparison to make. Um, they are on the opposite ends of the political spectrum. Um, but uh, it was it was refreshing to see that happen. Um, and uh, they played Space Oddity um, at one point. And Space Odyssey, Odyssey is maybe the best song ever made. So, you know, it's, it's or at least it's up there. Uh, my second puff is uh, there's a really great chase sequence in the middle of the movie um, on this incredible three-wheeling like device vehicle called an auto rickshaw. Uh, when I was looking it up, um, I found the coolest Wikipedia article ever. Um, these things do not have a single name. They are referred to in different countries as different things, including autos, auto rickshaws, baby taxis, moto taxis, pigeons, Johnny Bees, Bahajas, Shandgaris, Lapas, Tuk Tuks, Tum Tums, Kiki Napeps, Maruwas, Three Wheels, Pragyas, Bow Bows, Easy Bikes, CNGs, and Tuxi. Though they are mostly known as auto rickshaws. I want one so bad. They're so fucking <laughs> those cool. All, those all sounded like names for really bad weed. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Or really awesome three-wheeled motorized devices. They, they are sick. Um, it's like it's not a motorcycle. It's not a car. It's somewhere between. Uh, it's fantastic. Um, I think that was probably my favorite sequence. I think it was the sequence that came closest to like capturing that Indiana Jones um energy when Indy is just jumping from auto rickshaw to auto rickshaw and they're just going nuts. Um, I really like that. Um, and finally my, my pass, which I think is kind of a big one, um, which is the egregious misuse of Karen Allen, um, which is something that legitimately crystal skull did far, far better. Um, she was brilliant in crystal skull. I liked her a lot. I liked her relationship with India a lot here. She is literally like a housewife that comes in literally the last scene to be like, I'm back, Indy. Now we can be a family again. Um, that sucks. Uh, yeah. I even read that Karen Allen said she wished she had gotten a bigger role in Dial of Destiny. Um, they definitely should have done that, in my opinion. Um, yeah. Super weird. It's like, hey, old men can be action stars, but old ladies? No, not so much. Um, that sucked. But, you know, uh, what are you going to do? Yeah, I won't, I won't try to harsh the mellow about that one. I will say, like, because I have such a history watching these movies, like dozens and dozens of times as kids, as a kid, it it plucks it plucked at the heartstrings just in the bare moment of oh I'm seeing the character again, and we're supposed to be seeing emotion elicited from this character. Separate from like the exact moment of having watched two hours of that movie already, leading up to that scene, kind of abominable. Yeah, like. I one hopes that there's more real somewhere that exists as a, like a, a, another scene or something. Probably not that gives that character a little bit more do. Um, 
especially as somebody that like they dredged up for the last movie and that they went probably even greater lengths to dredge up again for this movie. Just like, uh, yeah, it, we, we need the Ravenwood cut, release the Ravenwood cut, release the cut. Exactly. You could just cut together Crystal Skull, parts of Crystal Skull and parts of Dial of Destiny. You would have almost one good Indiana Jones movie. And here's the roach, Cody. I'm finished. <laughs> Woohoo! Uh, well, hey, uh, on the note of Karen, this has nothing to do with any of my puffs nor passes. Um, a Karen Allen movie people should watch uh, that I saw relatively recently. Uh, Shoutouts to to Starman. Uh, that hmm. is um, a John Carpenter directed feature. I watched it uh, like a couple months ago, and I thought it was uh, fine. But I've thought about it a lot ever since. She's really great in it. It would probably be. Depending on the vibe, it would probably be a reasonable movie to throw on um, while you're smoking. Uh, but it does; it's like a very quiet movie, um, and but also very emotional. Gets into like grief and loss, and kind of explores those topics a, uh, a little bit. So it might not be for every setting, but uh, but check that out. Um, I'll probably revisit it sooner rather than later. But back to the task at hand: uh, Dial of Destiny. Puff, he's already been um, shouted out, cut, or at least referenced, but I did really love having Antonio Banderas in this movie. I remember seeing him in the trailer. Didn't think about it uh, until he came up again while watching. It was super cool. And hey, normalize having like A to B list stars, like really overqualified, not necessarily eating up super meaty meaty roles, but like people who have a certain warm presence, uh, even if it's on the gruffer side in this case, like Antonio Manderas with his character, just popping up in the the middle of the movie, um, you know, (laughs) occupying space awesomely for a little while. Uh, It was really good to to have him there. So Puff, Antonio, you can't see it, but I'm puffing your way. Um, That Puff is for you, big guy. Uh, I'll give my pass next um a lot of the scenery in this movie and especially in the the especially in the action set pieces but not necessarily um exclusive to those scenes just look like absolute dog shit um distractingly so i I revisited raiders when i was back home visiting my family a couple weeks ago and just and even recently with the fellas watching uh lawrence of arabia for for this very same podcast there's something to be said for just like going to real locations putting in the effort with like the photography and like even if they were filming in real locations the lighting might have still been shit because they had to account for like the de-aging or some other thing that they were doing needlessly digitally but even just like indian sala at the airport just at night it looked like absolute uh, i'll use it again dog shit because i can't think of any other words right now but pass uh the flip side of that i did especially you know the action set pieces especially and even just characters moving i thought the choreography of all that was really great and was in line with the sort of um the uh what i want to say like the comedic action tone that this franchise usually brings forth where like there are stakes where we are having a little bit of uh, comic mischief fun with it um thinking about it, the chase sequences with the the johnny bees the tuck tucks what have you um the um what am i that that casino had a really fun just like even like the maneuverings around the table like in close quarters too mm-hmm. even just um after antonio's uh untimely unfortunate demise god rest him uh when phoebe weller bridges character was kind of walking around the ship um uh, with that little that uh, i'm blinking out because i um uh, 
yeah, dynamite. Sorry, this roach is is too um uh, too is a little too much, a little too much for me right now. But just even that with her, um, like the stakes being raised in a very limited space, I thought all that movement was generally pretty good. And again, matched the uh, the tone that this franchise typically puts forth. So those those are that's my pass sandwiched by two um, slices of puff bread. Thank you, Cody. Uh, I saw a hand up. Do we have some crosstalk? Do we have a mellow to harsh on, on Cody's pass? Not a not a mellow to harsh. No, but when uh, Cody was bringing up the uh, just the uh, sets, I guess if you call them sets because they weren't probably physical, looking like poo poo dog shit, uh, it reminded me of like a link that we should post maybe with every single movie that has any sort of action sequence. Jackie Chan's How to Do Action Comedy Every Frame of Painting. Yes! (laughs) Like, the idea of establishing space before you action or comedy in it, 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 it's so great. Like, while you were talking, I was thinking back to like, oh, Oh, I I could probably um, set up the sets from the first three Indiana Jones movies. Just like how they are laid out topographically. I could not do this with this. I'm like, oh, I know that there is like a parade at some point and they're in a warehouse at some point and they're in a cave at some point and the streets of Morocco. But yeah, yeah. just wanted to shout that video out. Uh, It's so good. It changes your viewing for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. I will say the only time that I think. I think your note about choreography, Cody, is well taken uh, and scenery, obviously. um, But I think. In the in the case of the train sequence at the very beginning, I think unfortunately it's dragged down by the bad CGI, bad de aging, but uh, it is heightened, I think, by some of the sense of space in that. I quite I quite liked like by the time that they get to the front of the train, it's obviously yeah. every, every movie is a video game, but this like specific sequence is something that I wish I had seen in a video game before where the AA gun on the front of the train is sort of uh, coming off its kilter and just blasting away at the train like during a pursuit curve around the corner of a mountain just fucking sick as hell like I don't know why I've never seen that in a movie before and it's probably because it'd be ridiculous to try and uh, you know stage on anything but CGI backgrounds but it just looks really cool and there's like I think a really good sense of space there of course it then devolves into oh they're on top of the train they got to stand up and lay down they got to stand up and lay down but that's the thing about trains I mean throw them in a movie it's like a really good you have a great idea of the space that you're occupying both within the train and outside of the train it's a nice little cheat code more movies should be set on trains uh, which spoilers for future Puffs, yeah. Hey, whoa. Uh, Laying down track for you, Jason. Speaking of, we have uh, the next film we talk about in our Puff Puff Movie Pass is Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, directed by uh, none other than Tom uh, uh, Christopher McQuarrie himself. Uh, We have, uh, I won't start with my own. I'll toss to Harry for his thoughts about Dead Reckoning Part 1. Yeah, great transition there, laying down the track for me, Cody, Um, because my first puff is definitely the return of the train to uh, Mission Impossible. Um, The first Mission Impossible has an incredible train sequence uh, as the final set piece. This movie follows suit with um, another really great um, train set piece. Uh, The way that Cody described it is really apt, I think. I also really love 
in Mission Impossible movies where, and maybe this is a, a bit of a hot take, but I've always preferred the set pieces that don't have fighting to the ones that do have fighting in Mission Impossible. I think that there are a lot of action movies that revolve around combat. I've never felt like uh, Mission Impossible is, is necessarily where I go when I want to watch combat, with one huge exception uh, in the previous film. That would be the, the bathroom sequence, obviously. Um, but uh, so just like having... Um, Tom Cruise and Haley Atwell, like uncharted through uh, a train um, car was so sick. Uh, I really loved it. I th- I've heard criticism that it's like not super impactful as far as like final um, set pieces go. I don't necessarily disagree with that, but I really loved it anyway. Um, and it was like, it's bright. It's really well shot. It's really tense. There's a really great sort of um, understanding of geography and presence in the scene um just really fantastic stuff there um let's see my second puff is is quick they gave rebecca ferguson both in eye patch and uh katana um further sort of driving home in many ways that this is i think seth might have referred to this but this is perhaps the most metal gear solid film ever made um we've really come full circle in the sense that like there was a time when Hideo Kojima was influenced by movies. Now Hideo Kojima is influencing movies. Um, Rebecca Ferguson is the hottest woman in the Mission Impossible f- franchise, except no substitutes. Maybe that's a hot take. It's not. It's the correct take. Um, let's see. And that brings me to my final pass, which is that um, I don't like AI as a, as a plot conceit, especially for Mission Impossible. I think it's it's poo-poo dog shit. I think it's so stupid. The minute it was introduced, I was like, oh no, we're wasting the last two Mission Impossibles on this. I've read some pretty good takes about how it's like, in a funny way, it's like Ethan Hunt literally fighting God in like a JRPG style, another movie reference. There you go, uh, Cody. Um, and like, he's sort of like, like this, this almost omniscient antagonist is the ultimate sort of like, um, force for Ethan Hunt to come up against the ultimate sort of manifestation of his manifestation of destiny powers. Um, I buy that. I just don't really care. I think it's super dumb. Uh, There's a scene early on when they're describing the quote unquote entity. I think every time the entity is brought up, it's just like absolute cartoon shit, like absolute like garbage. I cannot believe like that shit would not fly in James Bond. I don't know if like Mission Impossible is more or less cartoony than James Bond, but like really should not have like in my opinion, like just give them like, I don't know, do the Top Gun Maverick thing where they have to fight some technologically advanced military that that is uh, nationless because we can't step on anybody's toes um, or something. But but really, I hated the entity thing. I'm going to hate it in the next movie, too. Um, but, you know, I still like the movie quite a bit, um, mostly for aforementioned reasons. Now I'm going to pass this roach. Let's see. Uh, Cody, here it comes to you, buddy. Here it is. Uh, you can't see it, but I'm holding it, listener. Uh, and I'm going to keep holding it while I get to my first puff, which is... Uh, this is it's a long movie with a lot of scenes that that lean on dialogue and they were I think very wise to jazz up those scenes especially early on when we're just like okay we have to get sold on this early um, and like obviously a lot of action choreography a lot of great set pieces that uh, have been talked about and we will continue to talk about but um, the the early scenes where we're kind of laying out a a shitload of exposition and you can really tell that that i mean they're trying some new things um mccory was definitely this has been i mean 
referenced everywhere online, so this is not like a novel take or anything, but calling back to De Palma um, for a lot of these sort of like angles, zooms, pans. Uh, I mean, like not for nothing, Wu and JJ, even JJ Abrams as well. Like you can kind of see their fingerprints on this, even if it's just like stylistic shout outs to them. So I really appreciated those. It really, you know, I, again, I was pretty engaged early, uh, and I came away really liking this movie, um, for that reason. And also for, uh, my next puff, which, uh, the fact, you know, we're, we're talking about all the great women in this movie, women are in this movie, but they're also pulling, like, not just, they're not just like in this movie as like set decorations, but they are pulling more than their fair share of the weight, uh, in different ways, uh, which is super, I mean, super cool to see Haley Atwell, the big sort of feels weird to call her a breakout because she has been kind of kicking around for a while, but, um, the consensus seems to be critically that like she's just been kind of like sitting around waiting for this kind of call uh and that i mean i echo that it seems pretty pretty obvious she balances the um the action work and the um that charisma needed to to match um you know in a, a tom cruise-esque lead uh pretty yeah, well it's particularly great the women in this that they so sort of outshine the material itself because the material itself is largely about how like ethan hunt needs to protect all of his girlfriends uh and mm-hmm. they just keep doing that and it really sucks but so it's really nice that at least the, in the movie they give the really awesome female action stars a bunch of chances to sort of transcend that sexist uh, conceit a little bit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You got uh, Palm Clementi. I have no idea if I said her last name correctly. Apologies uh, if I did not. But just her coming in, really acing the like um, mostly nameless. I mean, she gets a name eventually. Um, one that I cannot. Paris. Her name might be Paris. Paris. Yes. Yep. Her name is Paris, uh, and she's great. Uh, she gets off on being violent and sadistic. She doesn't have a background. I don't need an interiority for this character. This is one of the few situations where I'm like not hung up on the interiority. Um, uh, so like she was great. Vanessa Kirby having fun with the kind of dual um, act. Like you, you could tell she was having fun with that. It was cool that she um, got the opportunity to build off of her previous uh, appearance in this franchise, have the role she did in this movie. Um, so I don't know. That was all great. Shout out to women. We love women. Um my pass, uh, uh, unfortunately, is also related to women. It really bummed me out that Rebecca's character died, uh, and more so that she died and that there was no, not what I would call like an appropriate amount of fanfare for that. Um, it was shrugged off, I thought, pretty quickly. Um, and it was, it was in that moment where the sort of like rotating door, like, uh, yeah, like the rotating door of, um, women characters of just like Haley Atwell's here and Rebecca Ferguson is, Maybe things will be different in part two. That is like the big asterisk that will be in the back of my brain until part two comes out is like, but shit, I don't know. Maybe there's a bulletproof vest or there's, you know, she was wearing Mithril or some shit. I don't know. Like whatever the case might be, like, I'm not counting that out yet, but just, I don't know the, the, from how she was built up in the previous, the couple of movies leading up to this of just like her uh, and Ethan, their journey together and like what, what they might become to just like, I don't know, the world within the movie did not seem to give much of a shit. And that was kind of a bummer. Uh, Great movie though. Not a ton of passes, but that was one of them. And speaking of passes, um, I'm going to pass this. uh, I'm eyeing up, I'm eyeing up the fine gentleman in front of me, and uh, I'm gonna go. You know what? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go counterclockwise uh, because that's what Puff Puff movie pass is all about: going counter to the clockwise. Um, don't quote me on that, but it's gonna go to Seth in this case. So Seth, tell us um, your puffs, your passes, your okay. puff, your movie, everything in between, my guy. For sure. 
uh, my this is going to be hitting some of the same notes. The first puff, uh, just building on what you guys said, the action sequences, the the set pieces. I, I, a friend called them bits and gags. Uh, abound in this movie. Uh, I want to call out particularly uh, out of all of these movies, without a doubt, my favorite chase scene that i've seen in years was in the little fiat in italy Fuck yes <laughs> with tom cruise and Haley atwell handcuffed to each other that was delightful uh and like so many good beats of like comedy and thrill uh without ever feeling really tired and also like surprisingly enough to call back to another puff puff movie pass uses the same location uh, as Fast X. Hell yeah. Uh, that we, we definitely noticed in the theater. Um, so that is my first puff. Uh, my second puff, uh, Harry, I wrote down the Uncharted 2 train sequence, so you already expounded on that. So I will just dedicate this entire second puff to mercilessly simping over Haley Atwell. Uh, huge Here fan. We go. Yeah, like you said, uh, Cody... I definitely feel like, you know, I guess most mainstream people would know her from being Peggy in the Marvel, you know, cinematic universe. Uh, She's had some other roles here and there, but this seems to be like it could be a star break. And I'm here for it. Uh, Big fan. She had a lot of charisma. She had a lot of wit. Uh, And yeah, like really played well off of Tom Cruise. Um even though I will concede this is not this is not a pass, but I will concede it is a little bit more of like the, oh, this is my girlfriend, this movie. Uh, but there doesn't seem to be any romance. Uh, so that was, you know, nice, a nice development. Uh, and then my pass, again, with Harry on this, the plot, poo-poo dog shit. Uh, it is very video gamey where it is like, Ethan, you must kill Cyber God. Um, which is like, I can relate as a gamer. <laughs> uh, but otherwise, uh, and I, okay, th- maybe this is, this is like, since you already, this, this, this I'm torn about. S.I.E. Morales as Gabriel. He was good. I don't know if he was a good villain because he had charisma and he had like charm. And he had like an edge, but I don't know if it was like a malicious edge or just like uh, this person is capable. I don't know if I ever felt like evil. Also, maybe it's because he's a henchman of a of a stupid fucking AI that it's just like, oh, yeah, I don't really feel any evil towards him because he's answering to a nameless, faceless algorithm uh one more bone to pick real quick about gabriel (laughs) it's just that he's the total inverse of paris in that like he i think he's a really good character he he brings a ton the actor brings a ton of charisma to the role he has this like really great assurance about him that that makes him very intimidating but they do this thing where like they give him this backstory where he has this personal connection with ethan from before mission impossible one that they just accept like they just want us to bite down on and just be like yeah okay this was like secretly his like main rival all of these he's, movies uh, jason momoa in fast x yeah exactly. he was here the whole time here we go even we've never talked about him before and it's like so unnecessary it's just like i don't fucking care like i don't yeah. need him to have this this big backstory with ethan hunt just like make him a new dude 
Make him yeah. like tell me that he's like that grown by the entity that he's like literally like a cyborg person. That I thought he was cooler. gonna be a cyborg. Yeah, absolutely. That would have been, been tight as shit. You know that that <laughs> remains to be seen. I I have a feeling about part two. Like maybe it's they'll gonna hit, turn hit him super hard. Virtuosity and like his his jaw will do the thing where it hangs and it's like yeah. a it's like a robot jaw. Yeah, that's gonna be sick. Uh, and with that, I have totally roasted this one, so I will spark up a new one. So Jason gets a fresh puff. Fresh on this puff. One. Oh my goodness. I'm I don't know if I can take it. It's gonna be it's gonna be a lot. Uh and it's just gonna be the same the same old skunk weed. Uh because my puffs, puffs, and passes have been said largely. Uh, but I appreciate that. It means we're all of one mind and one accord, like Jesus' disciples, about a third of them. And you least. could try and same with like an accent or something, you know, jazz uh, it up a little bit if it, you well, want. It, it's funny that you should say because while I was thinking about it, um I came up with my first puff. Super granular, Dechangles, baby. This they Ooh. return it with force in this movie. I don't remember them being that big a part of Fallout, but in this movie, it feels very intentional that there's, like Cody said, a lot of exposition, a lot of talking heads. Even during those talking head segments, the camera will sometimes like crash zoom into just somebody talking or slowly start to tilt or like the next time you see uh henry turning face it will be at a 30 degree angle and it's like every time that scene happens you're like wow fuck this guy and then the camera zooming in you basically hear like the final fantasy 7 like battle theme startup because you're just zooming in very quickly and it's like 47 degree angle or you just hear like the the your whole crew from the corner saying like oh shit and things just like you're just forced into feeling that way about the scene in that moment i love it so much it felt like more than like a callback to the earlier films uh, in in the series and like more an intentional part of the tapestry of this movie that it's that almost campy it's just very good now i think it could have been could have been tasteless could have been underused perfect amount of dechangles in this movie uh the pivot to family the fact that this is basically a fast and furious movie by another name with a different skin on it is very good i think um the fucking i forget uh uh, Sean, what's his name's uh, character, but the the tech guy, um, in Simon Pegg's Simon Pe- Sean, uh, Shay Wiggum, Mister of the Dead, um, yeah. uh, Benji. Uh, Thank you, Benji. He has the bomb to defuse, uh, and uh, the answers are all about his friends, and he has to panic about his friends for like seven and a half minutes. I there's love- a really funny <laughs> tweet so where it says that I love how in every single Mission Impossible, there's a scene where Ving Rhames calls Ethan Hunt his best friend. <laughs> It's it's been there since the nearly the beginning, and yet like this this is where they put the finest point on it. I love it so much. Um, sincerity mode again, plus 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 plus. B- between this and uh, and Asteroid City, we need a lot of that. Um, uh, and my pass again, the villain is just not very compelling. There's an abstraction between what the AI knows and what it wants, and what uh, Gabriel wants to do with it. Mission Impossible has never really been a particularly like trenchant lens for the pressing issues of today. It's like it's not and and yet this one is like hey we're going to tackle ai as a topic i don't know if that was intentional with the release of chat gpt etc but it just feels like maybe shoot like a a totally phoned in uh way to like rally the main characters behind a new completely new thing and like harry i completely forgot this is how important it is to the plot completely fucking forgot that Gabriel was supposed to have known Ethan from beforehand and that Ethan somehow remembered him. It's just a dog shit cockamamie way to throw something into the end to like say, nope, it's important for more than it's just totally AI unnecessary. Thing. It's way <laughs> unnecessary, which is why I'm hoping maybe there's a great reason for it existing in the next movie. That's my puff. That's my puff. And that's my pass for 
Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. We have two more movies. Ooh, you know what I hope? I'm sorry. I'm oh, getting please. a little off. I'm, I'm hoping that like it turns out that the AI had created Ethan Hunt to destroy it, sort of like Patriot style, <laughs> where it's like there must always be an AI and an Ethan Hunt, and like that's why that backstory well, was created. That would uh, be sick as hell. I would that, take back everything I just said, but be I don't rad. think that's going to happen. I did, I did <laughs> that lean... would make it the most Metal Gear Solid game. <laughs> it would already yeah, be. Movie See, ever. Exactly. I leaned to Seth in the middle of the movie, and I'm like, this is GW, right? <laughs> like, this is <laughs> <laughs> this is just exactly what happens in two and four. Uh, so yes, go see, uh, well, check it out on VOD or whatever. Apparently people are unhappy about the release schedule of this movie because it got absolutely smushed by Barbenheimer at the theater. Uh, so now it's, you'll be able to see it like, I don't know, uh, uh under a box on the corner of your red nearest box. street. Uh, wow. That, that's, <laughs> that's truly the and red box. We have two more movies that we're going to cover, uh, separately, but, uh, you've heard them referred to in the same instance, in the same breath, in the same, word bizarrely enough listener uh barbie 2023 directed by greta gerwig uh is our second is our penultimate film of this puff puff movie pass um who hasn't started yet uh i think everybody has started i'll go first my puff being uh that it's actually like i i've come to expect of like big budget comedy dramas that they're just not going to be very funny in general this one is i think genuinely very funny very well written it's gerwig and noah bombach uh penned the script i found it pretty funny in a way that like is a progression beyond like the base whedonism writing that has just dominated comedy for the last like 15 years uh it leans into like that and i'm gonna just drop more names but like uh phil lord and chris miller thing a lot where it like sort of touches on the fourth wall breaking and like the score the music will sometimes reference what's going on on screen and there's a whole line where they talk about why you shouldn't cast margot robbie in a movie where this where the main character is supposed to be like fretting over not being beautiful anymore it's it's like it's not overused it is present it's not overused but it's just carried by such competent dedicated fucking performers i guess this is a dual puff for like it's funny and it's funny because of the people not necessarily always because of the words um ryan gosling obviously way way into the whole thing it, it's almost to an annoying point off screen but i was reassured once i got back into the movie he's like just he gave it his whole fucking ass um obviously margot robbie too i i did not beyond her stints in the joker movies or whatever she hasn't played much of like a totally lighthearted thing in movies that I've seen. Very, very good here. Um, I think the whole cast is pretty well-rounded in that respect and united behind the idea of, of making it comedic and light and fun. Um, the craft, my second puff is that the craft is really quite stunning. I think uh, this is something that's probably going to be shared with the next film in our discussion. But um, I find that like the fact that it all fits all the sets and all the different styles and designs and like handiwork that all, that all fits on camera, that it all works together. It's certainly like a gigantic Hollywood step up for Greta Gerwig after like she had, she's had many well-received movies, but this is just on another stratospheric level for her. Letterbox lists something like 10 additional directors for this movie, like assistant directing or additional directing. I have no idea where that's sourced or if that's true in any respect, but for simplicity's sake, we'll say Greta Gerwig directed this movie. Uh, I think it's just like, it, it is uh, uh, a, a, a sort of an achievement. And I don't know how she must've pulled off. Someday she'll write a book about how she went from little women to this. Uh, generally, I, I don't like, she must have a lot of great support and a lot of help. And obviously she's a, clear, a high profile vision. white female director. Okay. We're, we're, we're dancing around it. Uh, be, be a little bit less subtle. Um, my only pass is, and it's, it's pretty, pretty significant pass for me, um, is that if this, the whole movie, 
I, I was like teetering on the edge of sincerely, it's quite good and it's like refreshing and it is, it feels like Mattel character rehabilitation uh, throughout the whole thing. I think I raised the same kind of concern with the Spider-Man movie we covered in the last uh, Puff Puff movie pass. It does, this Barbie does like rightly question the character, the controversial nature of the icon of the toy of like the cultural force that Barbie has been, et cetera. It really tries to abstract that and go way beyond it. But the basis for going way beyond it is that it like, it necessarily has to overstate the impact of Barbie to a, de- to a degree, I think. I mean, not that I'm a scholar of these things at all, but I found it somewhat, um, maybe just a little bit of a conflict, a little bit of friction in my head that there's a character. I do like that there's a character that uh, is indeed like a mouthpiece for like calling out Barbie for being like basically a, a symbol of, of corporate infection of popular media, of, excuse me, of culture and unrealistic beauty standards, et cetera. Um, but one, I don't know zoomers well enough or whatever the next generation is called. Do zoomers really think or care about Barbie at all uh, anymore? Um, I just checked really quick. Cause I was curious in 2020, Barbie sold $1.35 billion, which was their most uh, since 2017. So okay. it's back on the upswing. It is back on the upswing, finally. Um, but like, thank you, Seth, from the for the report from our Zoomer corner. I, <laughs> I, I appreciate that. Um, I, like, are we in that case? I guess maybe we're not, but it just feels sometimes like we are sort of like that they gave that character that mouthpiece made that character that mouthpiece of that opinion just to be able to like say no we understand it we actually aren't that way here is a movie about why we're not that way here's a movie about why like the character the the movement is still about empowerment of female identity etc uh two i'm not sure that it like connected those uh dots between the girl's starting point being like very resentful of barbie as a figure and of generally you know uh popular culture, I guess, and female empowerment, um, as a tool of actual like betterment of condition and of class. Uh, and eventually she just comes to like see Barbie as an empathetic character is because she's also become a victim of the patriarchy. Um, and like, I, I don't know, it just ultimately feels like it's saying that Barbie is a land of contrasts and kind of leaving it there in a lot of ways. I may be completely misreading or not seeing what I'm supposed to see in Barbie, but it did not feel I, I, I love that people love the movie for more than just its style. I don't know that I was able to get there with it. Um, and that's, I think, where uh, my my pass uh, should should taper off because it's gone on longer than it should have. Uh, the Roach is going to Seth once more for his quick hit. Thanks. Uh, this is sort of a intertwined cross roach where both of my puffs will sort of feed into each other. Uh, similar... I loved the amount of sincerity in this movie. Uh, When this movie was announced and leading up to it, and when I was hearing about the plot and how it was going to sort of like uh, interrogate this uh, image of Barbie and its place in the world and, uh, you know, feminism and uh, the patriarchy, I expected in today's, you know, day and age that it was going to do it from a very snarky position. Uh, It was going to, I mean, in certain cases, rightfully punch down, but like that it was going to be condescending uh, in its tone that how could anyone not see that this is obviously the right way to be and how you do it is stupid and you're wrong for it. Uh, But that's not the tone it took. Uh, I thought that it was, well, for the sincerity part, and then the the thing that feeds into it is I really liked how it did 
tackle the idea of toxic masculinity and the patriarchy where it did genuinely feel like it was taking elements of those things to represent it without like it lets its own ludicrousness answer itself. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't need to point fingers. It just lets you sit back and and see how things work out. Uh, And it even is a plot element where Ken is just like, I hate this. I actually don't want to be, it's so much stress uh, to, to be a leader. I look so Um, stupid. (laughs) I look so stupid. Uh, False. He looks great, but go on. I I know I, 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 he's wrong. I should say, but yeah. Um, I, I just in general, like it left me feeling really good that like, it was a thoughtful commentary uh, without being acidic. Uh, and it it didn't back away from any of these ideas, uh, but it, it, it almost felt, it felt therapeutic for me. It was, it was that good medicinal shit. Uh, my pass, honestly, similar kind of to what you said, and this is not a, uh, a direct meant as a direct uh confrontation but like the meta commentary around barbie uh i know that this movie was going to generate so much discourse you know tm that i was just like i want to put in like a chrome extension to filter this in my brain where if anybody has a take about barbie for the next 90 days i just my i dissociate uh <laughs> Because, uh, especially, I don't know, like, I get really protective of sincerity in movies, uh, or sincerity in this world in general. Like, it is a product, it was made, they focus tested it, they found that it was gonna make money to be sincere, uh, everything everywhere at once, you know, did it win Best Picture? Or was it the Best Picture nominee? It won Best Picture, like, I don't give a fuck. Like, I don't care that it's in right now. I love it. I I stan it. I, this is willful, like, echo, I'm willfully echo chambering myself. Uh, I do not want to experience cognitive dissonance, so I will not expose myself to external stimuli. <laughs> this is what weed is all about. <laughs> this is, this is what weed is all about. It is maximalist interiority. I can, I cannot escape my skull. That's how high I am right now. <laughs> uh, and with that, I will pass it to Harry because I know he's got some some high class takes. <laughs> sort of, sort of on the opposite end of the spectrum. <laughs> hey, well, at least Barbie's better than everything, everywhere, all at once. Oh, all right, coming through. Um, so let's see. Uh, my first, my first puff. Um, the Pride and Prejudice joke, which is the hardest that a joke has made me laugh in a movie theater all year and maybe for many years. I watched this with my sister, Charlie, who is going through a lot right now and is maybe what you might call a depression Barbie of herself. I think she would agree with me. I don't think that's that's necessarily mean and had been doing that exact uh, or something very close to that exact behavior. Um, and so when that joke was made where it, it talks about how Depression Barbie is is rewatching the BBC Pride and Prejudice for the seventh time in a row. Um, we both like just shrieked. Uh, and it was really funny and really bonding. I really love that. Similar note. Um, and I guess this is sort of like, these are both my puffs, but just in general, I would like to say I was pleasantly surprised by how funny I found this movie throughout. I thought it was really, really sharp. Um, really enjoyed the writing. Um, at 
many points. There was another joke. Uh, one of the Zoomers calls Barbie a fascist at one point. You guys, longtime listeners, will know I love that shit. And then uh, <laughs> Barbie um, is crying to herself, and she goes, she says I'm a fascist, but I don't control the rails or the flow of commerce. <laughs> and that was another absolute, like, completely crushed me line <laughs> um my pass i like i agree with the passes i don't really i'm not really interested in unpacking the the feminism of this movie i think it was a really messy uh, at best i guess you could say but i don't really think i'm the right guy to unpack that um so I, i'll go in a different direction and just say that um that ending montage where greta gerwig cut in um a bunch of shots of the actual cast and crew um to sort of like represent life in its totality for Barbie to say yes to when she becomes a real girl at the beginning. Maybe, maybe it's, uh, maybe I'm just an asshole. I think that's hack shit. It totally took me out of the movie and I was just like, fuck off. I knew what it was immediately. I was like, oh yeah, Greta Gerwig's doing something really cute with the cast and crew. Uh, sucked. Um, don't need it. Get it out of there. Absolute sort of like meta commentary that has no place in an actual fictional story. Um, I'm a hypocrite because if fucking uh, Ano Hideki did the same thing, I would call him a genius. So, um, <laughs> you know, uh, take that with a, a grain of salt or more, as it were. And now I'm going to pass this fat roach over to Cody, the last to go this time around. Mm, hubba hubba auga. Uh, fun fact about me, that uh, end of Barbie montage made me cry a little. So, hey, it different got, strokes it got, for it different folks. Hell yeah. Um, he was so close to the mic. Mark. <laughs> <laughs> uh, rightfully so. But uh, yeah, um, Barbie, folks, uh, what's there to say? Uh, a lot, it would seem. Uh, <laughs> and again, that is why we're here. Barbie, puff. Um I'm genuinely afraid it's going to be overlooked collectively in the capital Z zeitgeist, just how good Margot Robbie was good, or like how good she was good, how great she was good. She was great in this movie. Um, the marketing materials came out and before that Margot Robbie was uh, announced, it was announced that she had been cast as Barbie and to the universe's credit, everybody like accepted it pretty well and like went along with it. And the trailer came out and they said, Hey, Barbie looks great. Um, and to be fair, a lot of the, not a lot of the discourse, but one thing that's cropped up a lot is, you know, calling out, there are a lot of people in, in this ensemble that did great work. Ryan Gosling is a name that's popping up as like, you know, kind of, he surprised me with how great he was and not to besmirch him because he was amazing in Barbie. Um, but for as much as I think about anybody else that's in this movie, it's, Ryan Gosling was phenomenal and hilarious as Ken. Margot Robbie was just Barbie. Like, she was Barbie. I cannot think of a more impossible ask than to have an actor try and portray Barbie with all of the multitudes and, like, histories of the thing backing it and um, I, too, felt like a general pleasantness but also muddiness with all the things that they were trying to tackle in this movie. Um, one movie cannot save the world, uh, can sure try, and this movie sure tried, and I like it a lot for that. Um, and, like, Margot Robbie wore a lot of that, like, super well like somehow even better than i would have thought so um shout out she was really awesome i hope she gets uh, i don't know how barbie will fare with like award season stuff but like i don't know she and a lot of people uh in this movie and a part of it should get a lot of attention um just because i don't know i i, I 
thought it was great. Uh, and know what else I thought was great as my second puff. Know what else I thought was great. The uh, not just the one choreographed dance sequence, but the two choreographed dance sequences. Not something that I think this movie was obligated to do, but I think it felt uh, fit the vibe rather super well. I'm always a huge sucker for choreographed uh dance sequences the second one also doubled as uh like a ken song which like again playing into that earnestness um like everybody really leaning into um the the movement and the you know i'm a ken and that's enough and i'm really good at stuff type lyrics just that shit was uh, was great uh i don't know i i was really on board with that love the the dancing love the singing love the musicality about barbie because I don't know, before any of that stuff came along, it was inherently sort of a musical movie. And then they made the subtext text. And just like here, Ryan Gosling is singing a song about being Ken. This is what you get. Uh, and know what else we got? Uh, and this is my past, by the way. Know what else we got? A, a, trip, a trip to, what was it? Venice Beach? Uh, a trip mm-hmm, to California, mm-hmm. um, which I think it was obvious how much that slowed the movie down. I think with the movie that they were trying to tell, it was obvious that that sort of thing was necessary. Still um, kind of, I don't know, sucked that we went there and things screeched to a, a halt a little bit, at least for my liking. Yo, I also, know. I thought that's what the whole movie was going to be about, was like Barbie mm. goes to the real world and they're there for like literally 10 minutes before they're back <laughs> in Barbie land. It's wild. <laughs> right. And like that is, I guess, like kind of raising this pass up a little bit. I think they knew that like that was what was happening, what would happen if they did that. So they didn't spend a moment too long in that space there's even a moment transitioning between the second and third act when uh, america ferrera's character and her daughter whose name and the character name and the actor name i'm completely brain farting on but like they're about to go to the real world and then michael sarah as alan is like no 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 no. we need to stay in barbie land basically um and better off for it um because i love being in the land of barbies and kens um that seems like a great place to go, but I would probably ruin it. But in any case, that is the, the rhythm was probably like appropriately ruined, like for the sake of the story, but it still like it was, it was ruptured in a way that I, I didn't quite love. So that is, that is my pass. Um, shout out to Barbie. Come on the pod. I Barbie, come on the pod. Uh, Greta, you're Anything's welcome. Possible. You're welcome. Anytime. Uh, Greta to, uh, try love or puff, puff movie pass. Do, do you smoke weed? Yes, indeed, folks. Uh, okay, so the final film of, of this episode of Puff Puff Movie Pass, on to another figure who suddenly entered cultural consciousness and left a complicated legacy and also had a buxom figure in unrealistic proportions, Robert J. Robert Oppenheimer, uh, the subject of Oppenheimer, the d- new movie directed by Christopher Nolan. Uh, Seth, do you want to kick us off with your thoughts about uh, Oppenheimer? You saw it. Now, I should, I should preface. The, we are dead in the midst of Barbenheimer mania at the moment. Um, mm-hmm. I do want to give a cultural, like I know I'm the one who got all pissy about timelines here. The, like an, an actual timestamp of what this moment in time is like for, for going to the movies. Saw Barbie, saw Oppenheimer. Talk a little bit about that experience. For sure. Uh, I partook in Barbenheimer uh, some of my friends, uh, including those on the podcast, uh, in in different uh, alignments, though, um, went Sunday of release day uh, to the uh, 
I don't want to say what theater, because if we get really famous, I don't want people showing up mobbing us there. Uh, but it's in Metropolitan Minneapolis. It's an iconic spot. Yeah. Oh, Local- yeah. I-, I totally blank that you guys make a podcast specifically about <laughs> I was the say, Luckily, so- th- nobody will ever know where to find us at movie theaters specifically. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Forget it. Uh, I went to the Showplace Icon, um, and it was it was – you could tell there was a verve in the air. Everybody was seemingly dressed up for Barbie. I didn't really see a lot of people dressed up for Oppenheimer. Maybe some people in suits and ties. I don't know. But they had like marketing there with the Barbie box that people could pose in. And it did honestly feel like peak, you know, midnight release mania type of thing, which which was honestly fun. It, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I did see Barbie first, and then Oppenheimer second. So true, Barbenheimer. Just, I, I do take a, yes. I do take umbrage with this. People who see Oppenheimer first and Barbie second, you are seeing it the right way. I think that's the right way to see those movies. But you are not doing a Barbenheimer. You are doing an Oppenarby. Just want to get that right off the bat. You're not doing a Barbenheimer. Posers. Okay. Well, I will take this opportunity to be a Barbenheimer uh, purist. Uh, it was good. End. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> That's my first. Thank you for yeah, listening. My first puff uh, was the music and editing because I had a lot of apprehension about having the second movie in a double feature being a three hour like dramatic biopic. The music and the editing really helped this movie feel a lot shorter than three hours. Uh, We'll see in second viewings, like if that does anything for me. But in this moment, I was a big fan. Uh, I've heard some people say that the music was too loud. Whatever. Uh, you know, watch Dunkirk. There's noise going on the whole time. And <laughs> I love that, too. Maybe, maybe I'm, I'm just a noisy dude. Uh, second puff. Killian Murphy. Good job. Got the right stuff. <laughs> you go far, kid. Yeah. Act, got, actors are acing title roles this yeah, week here on Puff Puff uh, Movie Pass. He's got, a, he's got a future ahead of him, this guy. Uh, no, I mean, I do think, uh, you know, J. Robert Oppenheimer has a very gray legacy in just a world history at this point, And it... I do think there is some art to like empathizing with this person without it being just like revisionist history of some sort of rose colored, you know, portrait of this guy. Uh, I think he did a good job. Killian Murphy. We can, whatever the rest of the film did, Killian Murphy in portraying that. Good. Uh, pass. This is a nitpick. I will totally admit this is a nitpick. Um, for as important as Rami Malek, as David L. Hill was in that Senate confirmation of Louis Strauss, played by Robert Downey Jr., where he comes in and he drops a <laughs> bombshell on the proceedings, uh, it felt completely unearned. Completely unearned. I, 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 I kind of was just like, oh, this is like, Deus Ex Machina levels yeah. of like, oh, here comes Rami Malik with the steel chair. Like, <laughs> I, I was completely, I was like, oh, 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 shit. Like, obviously, this is a historical biopic. So, 
if I was a student of history, I would have known that this was coming. But I feel like all of the other main players that have these moments in the film of some import within the film itself, it was built. Uh, not this. Poopoo dog shit. Skunkweed, in fact. And with that, I'll pass it to uh, my Brody, Cody, for his puffs. Skunkweed every day. Booyah. Um, Oppenheimer, folks. Uh, I also watched it in the the appropriate Barbenheimer order. Um, that was just based on convenience of showtimes. The uh, the the theater I was at, um, which I'm not going to say, but I had to walk through a literal lagoon to get there. Uh, had Barbie as the earlier showtime and Oppenheimer as the the later showtime. So that's what I did. Vibes wise, maybe not the best fit, but I wanted to be true to the bit, and that always takes precedence. And usually the vibes will follow. And they they did here. Look at us today. We made it. We've almost made it. We've got Oppenheimer Vibing. here. Uh, we are vibing. Uh, Oppenheimer. Uh, what a, a vibe movie. <laughs> I couldn't even say that with a straight face. Puff. Uh, I genuinely loved and continue to love seeing Nolan further develop his stable of actors. Um, call it the the Wes uh, Anderson ass in me. But that's just, I don't know. That's like a, a director trademark that I'm a fan of, of just like furthering filmographies with the same group of homies. All of you the know? stars. <laughs> Exactly, but that yeah. night sky was empty for all of the stars <laughs> for Oppenheimer. That's right. You have, uh, I mean, obviously, Killian Murphy, who, I mean, before this, you'd maybe see more so kind of a scarecrow tap dancing in the corner of a Batman movie, not necessarily taking on a title role. But you've got uh, David Dasmalchian. Uh, this is not his first. The Dasman. You'd love to see it. My husband. I it, what a that's true uh, god what a pleasant surprise it was seeing his his uh his very distinct face pop up in this movie what a treat his um, horrible visit <laughs> even i mean uh, uh, not necessarily lesser knowns but casey affleck matt damon seeing them like re-pop up in this high key surprise that michael kane didn't show up again you know like for a, a five minute lunch scene where he's got food in his mouth like he like he had in tenet uh pretty good but um and kenneth branagh uh was one of those as well um who is in kind of a poopoo dog shit stage of his career right now but i thought he was genuinely really good uh in his couple minutes of screen time in oppenheimer so uh, developing that stable yeah a lot of uh a lot of stars, uh, a lot of man stars um, being uh, propagated within that stable of Nolans. Um, yeah, uh, so there's that. Maybe we'll get into that. Uh, well, hey, I guess kind of getting into that. My second puff, uh, not in Nolan's stable unless I'm completely uh, forgetting something. I've said it once and I've, maybe not on mic, but uh, I'll say it to whoever will listen. Emily Blunt is one of our finest actors, our finest working actors not necessarily uh, a super well-written character um saying that with as big of a smile i can muster but holy shit she made meals out of the scenes that she was given um so that w- I, I don't have much to say beyond that other than i like she and and others as well um really uh when they were kind of given a, a couple minute scenes to to really linger in front of the camera they really brought something special to the table uh and emily blunt did uh, and literally including the scene where she was at an actual table um puff, really puff, great pass. Scene favorite emily blunt Ooh, uh, God. Uh, <sighs> pretty good uh my my pass um i i came away 
liking Oppenheimer well enough, not loving it. And the more I think about it, I, I feel like it, it's slowly there's a, a corrosion that's um, that's taking place within my my letterboxed uh, rating and, and write up. Maybe it's the the hype of Barbenheimer that is sort of leave, leaving the pores of my body, and I'm brought back to my my lowly shell, and I see the world for what it is. Um, I did not love the pace of Oppenheimer, and maybe that is particular to my ability or lack thereof to grapple with certain, like in this case, especially historical figures, trying to like map certain, certain. Uh, I mean, obviously, they're the real life events and personalities, but just trying to map shit together, understand the cause and effect. I mean, love seeing all these, uh, all these uh, fancy boys um, and Emily Blunt and Florence Pugh. Uh, arriving on screen all the stars etc but just like making sense of what their role is and trying to uh, i did have trouble hearing them over the sound of the uh the sound not the sound of music but the sound of the music um at various points uh it's my my old person ears i don't know what it is it's um the, the skunk weed uh is pouring holes into my brain and i i can't it's affecting my eardrums i don't know what it is all I know is I would have loved, even if it wasn't, even if the content, uh, this is me back, uh, uh, front or what a passenger seat, backseat driving, backseat driving, uh, man, this roach, uh, even if you don't like do it, bring in any new content, maybe reorganizing it. So we're not flying through two and a half hours of Oppie and then getting a half hour at the end, uh, of the, the RDJ show, which was great. I don't know if restructuring things would make things fall a little bit differently. All I know is the, I had trouble keeping up, uh, at stretches. Um, and typically that's not the case because I'm an athlete and I'm very fast. So you, you know, for sure that something might be, might be, uh, at play there, but I've, I feel like I've, I've gone on quite long enough i will pass um what am i gonna how do because it's like you try to gamify it right where it's like who's who do we trust to to cap this off you know what i'm gonna let the super produce be the closing person harry you get this one take it run with it do what you will yeah, thanks, Cody. Uh, all right, pass number one, way less pro oppie than I feared it was going to be. Um, I think that Christopher Nolan's politics are highly suspect. He is perhaps the great center-right director <laughs> of blockbusters of our time. Uh, I was really impressed with this take on Oppenheimer, especially Cillian Murphy's worm ass, which is actually what I wrote down for my second puff, but... Uh, um, Seth kind of took it. In particular, I think there's a really interesting psychological rhetoric that Oppenheimer uses throughout this movie that I think is like really true to like great man theory, which is where he just sort of like almost like rides the fact that he is so consequential and uh, making decisions of epic proportion to have to like to suspend his own opinions he does this great thing throughout the movie where he just very pointedly avoids having to do things that he doesn't excel at by retreating into the things that he does excel at and that creates the situations where he is sort of like always pulling the wool over his own eyes the movie actually like calls attention to that there's a really great line where somebody calls him science's great salesman um who's capable of selling anyone on anything including himself right I think this is like largely a movie about self-deception in a way that I find really striking, um, especially when we're considering like it's a very human thing to do, right? To sort of like suspend your own judgment or pretend like you're not in the position that you're in and just sort of like avoid and equivocate to avoid having to sort of like reconcile with how terrible the things you're doing are. Um, like 
Uh, Seth said, I think that's a really good um, point. I think that like they, they legitimately both made Oppenheimer a coward and a coward who very well might have ruined the world while also making him a sympathetic coward. Um, I think that the ability to hold both of those things together makes this a pretty morally complex movie in a way that I appreciated. Um, in particular, uh, RDJ Strauss's speech at the end where he has that temper tantrum about Oppenheimer. Um, I thought it was really awesome that we could find his character completely contemptible and evil while also recognizing that he's probably right about Oppenheimer. Um, I thought that that was like really something nuanced and complex happening there where he's like, if, if Oppenheimer could have done this all again, he would have done it the same way because he wanted to be on the cover of time. And it's like, well, shit, like that's probably true. Like Strauss, like you're a real incredible piece of shit. But um, anyway, so I really liked that this movie's politics were actually pretty nuanced and pretty um, favorable. Uh, let's see. Um, the, my second, like, uh, my second puff is, um, the scene when Oppenheimer is at his most contemptible, where he is forced to give a speech right after the detonation of the bombs in Nagasaki and Hiroshima. Um, and he, he says some really heinous jingoist shit about, um, uh, what happened in Japan and, and how he wished he could have dropped it on the Germans. It's super undercut by really horrifying, but like, pretty understated nuclear war um, imagery. They only cut to the sort of like implied devastation. Um, Oppenheimer's thinking about what it would have done if it had detonated in that room that he was standing in at that point. Um, I found it completely chilling um, and horrifying. And like, I'm pretty inured to uh, nuclear war like imagery, especially in film, right? And especially in like, I've seen Barefoot Gen, I've seen like a lot of like really heinous shit. Um, that still got to me, right? Like watching the skin peel off that woman. Um, really, really appropriately horrifying, I thought. Uh, my pass, there's like a lot of kind of hacky shit in this movie too. Um, in particular, I think we've already sort of alluded to this, but like he, like, uh, Nolan has to get us to remember and keep track of a lot of characters. He does this by having like cross cuts back to those characters for just a second when they're being talked about so that we can just remember who he's talking about to try to make the sort of like court stuff at the end a little less deus machina-y. Um, it's just like, hey man, if you had like maybe done a better job of like getting me to remember those characters and understand their relationships, you wouldn't have had to do that hack shit. Um, so... Maybe, like, get better at telling your political drama instead of just sort of, like, trying to uh, edit that bullshit together. Um, similarly, on the subject of hack shit, um, I found all of the sort of, like, imagery of Oppenheimer thinking about just, like, general science shit really silly. <laughs> like, I know they tried to make it cool and stuff, but it was just like he was thinking about, like string theory and wave theory and there would just be waves on the screen or like he would be talking about a black hole and then you would just like see a black hole uh kind of kind of silly i don't know it didn't really contribute a lot for my taste but up to you visualizing science and film was already at its apex in the hangover uh <laughs> during the casino scene so everything else has just been reaching for that See, same high yeah, point. Excellent point. Yeah, very much so. Just sort of like some some like real like 90s shit happening there that I wasn't a huge fan of. But um, I was surprised how much I liked the movie. And now let's close it out with somebody who maybe didn't like the movie quite so much. Uh, passing this, this fat papa roach over to Jason. 
it's still so big. We have to. We have it to. It just start, keeps getting we, fatter. We I don't gotta understand. hit this thing more, guys. Is we're not gonna get done before midnight. Um, it's all on you, Big Daddy. I did like it less than I think the group did. Uh, I. I will say I will start with my positives, my positives. I think, Harry, some of what you didn't like about like the visualization of thought and like the interiority that the concept of um, not reading sheet music, but hearing the music kind of thing. I really liked how he tried to make that narrative fit with the visuals, because the visuals for me are where the movie really sang that just constant escalating like. I forget which movie it was, but but was it Dunkirk that like just features a series of increase like yes. increasing pitch Johnson tones throughout the movie? It's just like always increasing in tension. This movie makes that a little bit less literal than it was in Dunkirk, but it is no less effective. I think, yeah, uh, rising Johnson tones. If you want that a clean read on rising Johnson tones, uh, but like it it does that through things that very naturally fit into the plot, uh, either, you know, seated early or later on. We have the people's feet stamping at the rally that Harry was talking about, where they're cel- celebrating the bombs dropping on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Um, we have the constant like rain dribbles and and uh, and ripples in the water, uh, the the obviously increasing like, you know, uh, revolutions of. I don't know, uh, protons and electrons around a nuclear, whatever it is like thematically, I think that very much works and it sort of increases the tension throughout this three hour movie. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm on board with the, uh, uh, assertions that it's kind of like a three hour trailer myself and uh, former podcast uh, guest, Blake Hester and friend Leo Vader went to see this movie just last night. And we all three walked out and said, that was like a three hour trailer. That was just, constantly moving um and i think that in most cases that worked as a whole it worked in the moment it was a little tough to deal with but overall i really liked it uh that was my one of my puffs my other puff is that it, this movie i have limited mileage with robert downey jr outside of like marvel cinematic universe shit it made me believe in robert downey jr again he is fantastic fucking fantastic in this movie i think he's one of like the better in a movie with killian murphy emily blunt etc like a, just a, a stacked cast benny safty for christ's sakes uh, the, he like really does, I think, stand out quite, quite well. I never like forgot it was him, but I just noticed how much he was adding to that performance, how much he was doing that he never does, uh, in, in any other roles I've seen him in. Um, he has like this lopsided grimace he gives sometimes as his character, as Strauss, he, there's this one moment and they linger on it just long enough. He's, I think it's when he's starting to come undone, but he's got the teacup up to his lips and he just kind of like wipes it with his bottom lip in this really creepy, greasy, like little freaky way. It's very, very good. Just little tiny character touches that made me think, okay, he's in contention probably for some, a golden globe and Oscar or whatever, because I really, really enjoyed that performance. Um, my only pass, it's a big pass, but big pass coming through. Boy, this script sucks shit. I cannot stand how badly written this movie, like not written in terms of plot or narrative, but just the words that people say fucking goddamn. I just cannot stand listening to the people talking in this movie. I started my letterbox review with, I was told that it was going to be really hard to understand that people in this movie, as it was like in Tenet, I just didn't see Tenet, but in some other movies with like purposely bad sound mixing, I wish that had been true. I could hear almost every word in this and I'm embarrassed I did. It's really sometimes quite terrible how people just are always speaking in bond modes. Harry brought up the um, sort of like uh, uh, Emily Blunt and her takedown of, uh, is it Ross or Russ? Jason Clark's character, the interrogator in the like- um, Rob. Rob, thank you. Uh, 
And that is the scene where it like really fits because she is like incredibly quick witted. She's incredibly like able to take him down. She's just, you know, talking circles around him and it really fucking works very, very well. Cody, you're not allowed to make regular video game references in the chat. I'm sorry. You can't reference the chat on Mike, you monster. Um, Rob is a video game character. <laughs> we have uh, like it. It works in Nolan movies like Batman and the prestige for people that's talking this like like modern Shakespearean thing. I get that a lot of this was like directly quoted. Some of the famously, some quotes actually were uttered in real life. Um, I refuse to believe that anybody spoke with the can with the like tenor candor or wit that people speak in this movie. And this feels the more and more I talk about it, the more it feels like it's just a nitpick. But in the moment, I know in my heart that this movie would have been easier to digest if it weren't so constantly on and just smarter than it th- like it, it wants you to believe it's smarter than it is for a moment. It never like really got there for me. Some like there, you could chuck it up. Like Harry was saying what it's doing with the character of Oppenheimer himself, where he's sort of like elevating his own, uh, prominence and prestige in his brain because he's able to just avoid things that he doesn't excel at. And you could say, Oh, the reason for his, for the vocabulary, for the heightened like dialogue is because he is one of those people who just talks like that. But everybody gets lines like this. Somebody tells him that he's not just self-important. He's actually important. And it's like, I, I don't believe that for a moment in the movie when we're like supposed to be deadly serious and these one-offs and quips just keep hitting. They're not necessarily always quips, but they just feel too perfect, too crystallized. It's like Christopher Nolan went back to his high school notebook and pulled some cool lines that he thought a cool guy in an action movie might say. Just feels really, really childish and churlish sometimes. And it really did take me out more than the editing, more than the the, audio, more than the final act switch to a courtroom drama and Rami Malek showing back up. They should have just left him silent. He should have just been an implied presence after that IMO. Um, But like those, they're not inflection points in the script. They're not like heavy hitters when they happen every couple minutes or so. And when they always leave me like just shaking my head, did not like that very much. It really did impact very significantly my uh, mileage with Oppenheimer, uh, which is the final movie in our discussion of Puff Puff Movie Pass. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, do we have any final crosstalk about Oppenheimer we want to get out before we uh, yeah. rip, rip it up? Just, I don't know, wild that um, Jason came away not loving Oppenheimer. Uh, when you look across the country, nay, the whole world, a lot of people thought it was the bomb. Thank you very much for listening. I I don't know. You just you harshed my mellow with that one. Uh, it was your idea to end with Oppenheimer. Uh, yeah. Well, I had to go for the so wait, wait, wait. Cody is about the, He's like being yeah. Oppenheimer. He's like he's like what what you were gonna give me the tools and then expect me not to make that joke. Wait, it's called Asta Desta Dead Barb uh, Dead Reckon Barbenheimer, not Barbenheimer Reckon Destin City. <laughs> Thank you so Something much. Something to consider. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you enjoy this little detour into current run films. Um, everybody give your ats at the out. Uh, I'm Jason Daphnis. I smoked weed once in August of 2011 and I haven't tried it again. Fell asleep. You can find me on Twitter tweeting about almost everything except weed on uh, at Nintendoofus. I'm Cody Narvison. I may have, I may have allegedly had a wee bit of an edible leading up to uh, me watching Dead Reckoning Part 1. And allegedly, maybe I'll do the same thing before Part 2. You can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. Um, if you go to Michigan, don't buy the edibles there. They are loud. <laughs> uh, and you can find me online at SNZerati.
<laughs> I wish I remembered that whole uh, um, you can't handle the truth tweet about how he gets <laughs> he gets gone off that mid shit, but I can't right now uh, because I'm gone. I've been Harry Mack, and you can find me on Twitter at Punished Taco. How did we do this last time? I'm supposed to. I just let you go. Oh. Uh, Arbenheimer Wreck and Destin City. Population us. You know, you should, you know, you could do, and Jason, you can cut this if you want so that we can do it fresh in the moment, but. You could ask uh, if if she smokes weed, and then you put in the Aaron Grossman clip. It's like, ah, yes. You still yes, indeed, folks. <laughs> Very good. Maybe Aaron will listen to this. He doesn't listen to our other episodes. He's not on. Aaron, uh, do, do you ever have any plans of of listening to an episode of Puff Up Movie Pass? Uh, if especially if you're not on it. Yes, indeed, folks. Well, there you have it. I guess we'll have him on next time.